Our memory verse for this week is 1 Corinthians 13, 7. This is the great love chapter. It speaks about charity. And this is what it says about charity. Let's say it together. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Very good. Work on that for this week. Lord willing, tonight we'll give you opportunity to say this past week's verse. And it's been a blessing to see just how many people have really been working to memorize God's word. All right, if our ushers will come, we will receive our tithes and offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need. Your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. to Luke chapter 14 this morning for our scripture reading. Luke chapter 14. And stand with me if you're able to as we read verse 25 to verse 35. Luke chapter 14. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? 
lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again that we are able to be here in this place. We thank you for our church and our pastor, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray your blessing on Pastor Miller as he preaches your word today. We pray that you would uh, give him your power and guidance. We pray that you'd help us to hear. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen and convict and do all those things that uh, you do in our lives and hearts by your spirit. Thank you again for the privilege we have to be here. And we pray that you will give us strength, help us to serve you better for having been here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be seated, please. Our lesson and passage this morning follows on the heels of uh, the Lord's Sabbath encounter with the Pharisees. Remember last week, they had the dinner trap where the Pharisees had brought him in on the Sabbath day. And uh, they had set the, this man with dropsy and had him right there in the eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they were hoping that he would do something so they could destroy his reputation and maybe even arrest him and just put him out of circulation. But their trap backfired, and it was their reputation that was exposed, and they could not say a word about it. Well, after that, now we see that the Lord continues his journey. And do understand, we're in the last six months before going into Jerusalem for that last uh, part of a week, and then offer his life as the perfect Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And uh, we're down into the latter half of those six months, and uh, he's working his way towards Jerusalem. He leaves this last engagement, and he has what is called great multitudes that follow him. Now, I find it interesting that the words multitudes is plural. You now, if you have a multitude, you got a crowd. But what do you have when you put an S on it? Uh, several different crowds that have come together. And, and I don't know if it was just one of these growing crowds or a crowd came from here, a crowd came from here, a crowd came from another place. But there was a, a larger gathering of people following him, coming around him as he was endeavoring to move further in his journey. And... Uh, I'm sure they followed him for a variety of reasons and came to him for a variety of reasons. For some, it may have been uh, they witnessed piercing the bubble of the Pharisees in this last Sabbath. 
You see, the Pharisees could force respect and obedience because if they, people didn't do what they say and if they didn't respect them the way they wanted it to happen, they had the power and authority to kick them out of the synagogue. And what that would mean is they would lose their job. The family could not take them in. They would lose all social encounter within the community. Basically, they were forced into homelessness and to move on somewhere else. Folks, if you have to force or intimidate somebody to respect you, you probably have not earned it. And behind the scenes, they probably despise you instead of respect you. And some of them may have followed along the way. Uh, No doubt there were some that followed the Lord out of sincerity and really wanted to know Him better and walk with Him and understand what salvation meant. But it would appear that many follow Him for the miracle of food supply, the free meals. He fed the 5,000, fed the the thousands, and and, uh, food left over. We still love a great fellowship meal. We still love a a, a great free meal, too. And I'm sure it was good food that he provided for them. Uh, The Lord didn't do anything bad. Uh, And no doubt there were those that followed because of the healing miracles, and maybe they had some malady that they would hope he would heal. And there was probably those zealots amongst the crowd that thought, ah, this could be the Messiah. He can throw off the Roman government and give us back our local sovereignty and and we can raise up our king and we can have our own nation once again. I'm sure there was a variety of reasons that the Lord sensed. Could I use the word insincerity in what he desired in followers? And so he had this lesson to teach. Now, one of the things we do understand, and it's been true down through the ages, most men like big crowds. And they work and they uh, manage their ministry or manage their program, managing their marketing or whatever it is to get a big crowd, keep a big crowd, and hope to have a bigger crowd the next week. Do you know the Lord wasn't enamored with just having a big crowd? He wanted a quality following. And from time to time, he had a purging of his followers. I suppose not too many preachers preach with that in mind. But we see that the Lord, he did that. And and as he has all of these people following... The Lord either stops or slows down the pace. I'm not sure how this happens. But he takes time for a teachable moment and teaches them what is the true meaning of discipleship. In verse 25, he says, or 26 rather, uh, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my Disciple. Then in verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so he teaches a very uh, pointed lesson of what it really means to be a disciple. Now, it's extremely important that you understand this. He is not talking about salvation in this passage. He is not saying that you have to, uh, let's say, abandon your family. Uh, 
He's not saying you have to know how to build a tower. He's not saying you have to be able to go to war. He's not saying these are the things you do so you can become a believer. Salvation is very simple and very easy. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Very simple. You will find also, it says in Acts 20, verse 21, that the preaching of repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ should go out to both Jews and Gentiles. That's very simple. Repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans in chapter 10. While you're finding your place in John, he says, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he says there's only one way to receive eternal life or to be saved. In verse 9 we read that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What's the next four words? Thou shalt be saved. He doesn't say go to church every Sunday. He doesn't say give your tithe every Sunday to be saved. He doesn't say you got to be baptized to be saved. He doesn't say uh, uh, be uh, go through all of the uh, lessons and be confirmed to be saved. He says uh, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and thou wilt be saved. Very simple. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Simple as that. And so we understand that our passage is not talking about salvation, but rather it is talking about discipleship. And as we look at this, uh, we come into some difficult parts of this, of the Bible and of what Christ taught. In fact, verse, uh, go back there to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. He uses the word hate in connection with the family. Do you know what? There's some passages and some verses that I wish I could do what commentary writers do. You you come to these verses and I want to see what they have to say and they just quietly skip over it and say nothing. Now some do, but a lot of them, when you get to these where you really need their help, they just skip over or they skip the whole passage and, and then some of them give kind of a glib explanation and move forward. But do you know as a pastor that interacts with his flock, I really can't get away with that. Because somebody's going to come along and say, Hey, pastor, what does verse 26 really mean? Are we really supposed to hate our family? How do we understand this? Well, I'm going to venture forward. I'm not going to skip it. And I hope I can give you some understanding. And I'm not going to say I've grasped the whole understanding of this. Because this really is a a very pointed statement that Jesus makes. What he says, he says, if any man 
come to me, and, and man is, is in the uh, old-fashioned generic term, any person. We used to use that when we wanted to express everybody involved. But if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, uh, that pretty much includes the whole possibility of a family. Yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Now, let us take a look at this because I think the first principle in four principles, I'm going to look at four principles of discipleship. And the first principle deals with the family. There's been a lot of effort to explain this away as a word in in that hate doesn't really mean hate. It just means something else. And when we come to a passage like this, it would be easy to say, well, it's in comparison. And uh, we would like to say it just means to love less, and maybe it, and we will see what it has to say about that. But let's be careful about using that. When the Calvinist says a word doesn't mean what a word says, we say, oh, come on now. Because the Calvinists, in order to justify unconditional election, they come to the verse where it says that Christ died for all and tasted death for every man. They come back and say, well, all doesn't mean all. It only means those who are saved or elected. And every tasted death for every man. Well, every doesn't mean everybody. It just means everyone that's elected to be saved. And so we really have to be fair and consistent in how we come to these passages. When you look at their use in doing that, there really is no other passage to justify those expressions or those interpretations. As we come to this, are there other passages that gives us explanation with this word? Uh, Here's a contrast. When you deal with the word love, there's several different Greek words that are translated in our Bible, love. Uh, We don't have all of the words in our language to match all of the Greek words. Uh, You'll find agape, phileo, and other words that are translated with the word love. And uh, sometimes you wonder, understanding, context will help you, but you can also go back to that Greek word and find out which one. Agape is that unconditional love from God. Uh, Phileo is that love of of a friendship between uh, individuals. Well, I did a little research on the word hate for Greek words. The word hate is used 16 times in uh, the King James Bible. And out of the 16 times, 15 times, it uses one Greek word. And only one time is there a different Greek word, and that's in Revelation. It's not here. And so it's, we really can't say that it's a different Greek word that is used in this place. But it does seem that the word hate has some variance in its definition determined by its context. And you will find that done in many languages. We could use the word auto. And that could mean automatic, automation, automobile. If the word auto is used, 
basically you understand that word by the context of how it is used. Uh, we could use the word, uh, uh, another word, but it's probably spelled differently, is dolly. Uh, there's different types of dollies and uh, different things. And so we understand that sometimes a word can be used differently. And this is quite often in various languages. So I want you to look at a sampling of the use of the word hate. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Now, Back in our passage in Luke 14, where it talks about the uh, relationship with the family. In another passage, sometimes our biggest opposition comes from family. Our biggest spiritual enemies come from the family. In this verse, he says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away the cloak, forbid not to take thy cloak also. And it continues there. Now let's turn over to 1 John chapter 3 and see another use of the word. 1 John chapter 3. And I'm showing you some examples so we can come back and get a better understanding of our text. In 1 John 3, 15, Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. Now he's talking about a brother in Christ, a brother or sister in Christ. That's the context within this chapter. It's not talking about your natural born brother or natural born sister. This is talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. But here it says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So here we see a very strong use of the word hate. Now if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And begin with verse 32. We will read a few verses here. And again, this has to do with discipleship. Matthew 10 verse 32. Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. Now, I'm not dealing with this in my message today. But stop to think about this. There's an awful lot of Christendom that's out trying to gain world peace and, and peace with everything and everybody. Do you know what? God's not making peace with everything and everybody. There are boundaries with which God will make peace. And by and large, by bringing truth, it brings a division. He says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter, against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother 
more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now what I would understand in this passage right here is that our love for God must exceed our love for family. We are commanded in Ephesians 6 and even in the Old Testament to honor our parents and to take care of our parents. We are commanded to love one another. And and whether the family members are believers or unbelievers... And whether as believers they are walking with God or they're walking a very worldly life, we will have a certain level of love for them and a care for them. But that cannot get in the way in any way of our love for God. That's how I would understand it, is that our love for God must exceed and supersede our love for family. And to them, it may seem as though you hate them. I have been in that situation. I have had, Mrs. Miller and I have had to make choices as to whether we are going to love the Lord our God with all our heart and obey Him in every avenue that we possibly could. And in so doing, it brought levels of rejection by our families. And I'm sure they probably thought we hated them out of that. But through it all, we still loved them. But to them, it no doubt appeared as though we hated them because we simply could not acquiesce to how they wanted us to bend to the ways of the world. We simply could not do that. So coming out of this, to whatever extreme this word hate means in in Luke chapter 14, I believe it teaches one of the very first principles of discipleship. And that first principle of discipleship is, are you willing to make a social sacrifice and it may have to begin with your family? Are you willing to make a social sacrifice and it may have to begin with family? If you have a godly family... This sacrifice may be totally different than it would be if you had an ungodly family. Uh, We have a daughter and son-in-law that are missionaries on a foreign field, and we have others in our church that that know what that's like. We're not able to to be with them. We will go years before we see them. We're not able to interact with our children. We we praise God for uh, FaceTime so we can have video conversation and be able to interact and do that. But, you know, uh, they've had to make a real sacrifice to be away from uh, grandparents. And and they have the blessing where both grandparents love the Lord, want to serve God, and are fully supportive of their missionary work. But they had to make the sacrifice to go and do that and be a part and be able to do what God has called them to do. And and for us as grandparents and parents and grandparents, we have to be willing to make that sacrifice to let them follow the Lord's leading. And it is a sacrifice. But do you know, sometimes that sacrifice is even more severe. I know a young man, when I pastored up in West Nebraska, 
that he believed God had called him to to the mission field. And he and his wife were working very carefully and looking forward to going to the mission field. But his parents did not want him to go to the mission field. His dad and mom had been very active in an independent Baptist church. His dad had been a deacon. They should have known better. But they wanted to keep them on the family farm And they did everything to impede and to stop him from doing the will of God. And the result was they wound up destroying their marriage and he never made it to the mission field. You see, sometimes it's of the old own household and we have to make social sacrifices. 1 John 3.13 says, Marvel not if the world hates you. You see, when you take a godly stand of righteousness on social issues, on all issues, as they're defined by God's word, this world, including some family members, will not like you. You will not be acceptable in a political arena. Your principles, your values will be uh, mocked and, and uh, criticized and, and uh, even worse than that, cursed. Your, your values in, in the working arena will not be acceptable. In some places, you, you may be able to and they will tolerate us. But in many places, they're not acceptable. And in the public educational venue... Godly values will not be appreciated by and large. And you can go into almost any social circle you want to identify. And in fact, even in family circles, when you choose to live godly and and proclaim God's righteousness on every issue and value, you'll find many family members will not like you. You won't have to separate from them. They'll just leave you alone. Now, folks, I'm not saying we should be ornery, obnoxious, rude, unkind by proclaiming and living biblical righteousness. Ephesians, I believe it, I forget which chapter, it's either chapter 2, but it tells us to speak Truth in love. Maybe chapter 4. We are to be kind with it. But do you know, even when you live and declare truth in love, if it's going contrary to how they want to live, they will not like you. And so here we would understand true discipleship. If you are not willing to stand for God's righteousness and risk a social sacrifice, you cannot be his disciple. Principle number one, social sacrifice. Principle number two, verses 28 to 30, you will have to be willing to make material sacrifice. Here he's talking about building a tower. Building has to do with materials, labor, Time, finances, resources, it's all on a material level. And it's talking about understanding the cost, materially speaking, to accomplish something. 
In Luke 9:58, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds have the air, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. The Lord made material sacrifices. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, principle number two, you maybe have to be willing to make material sacrifices to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to count the cost materially? Are you willing to make certain material sacrifices and trust God for the needed materials and finish your life as a disciple? First, discipleship will take social sacrifice. Second, material sacrifice. Principle number three, you will have to be willing to make physical sacrifice. In verses 31 through 33, he's talking about going to war. A king is looking at going to war. One... You need to pick your battles. (laughs) And even as a disciple, you need to know which battles to pick and which ones to leave alone. But here's something else about battle and war that it's talking about here. War involves an awful lot of death and physical injury. Um, Arlington National Cemetery, Fort McPherson National Cemetery... Logan National Cemetery. While there have been a lot of veterans buried in each of these, there's also been a lot of soldiers that died in battle that are buried in these. You see, there's a lot of physical death that takes place on the battlefield. And there's a lot of physical injury that takes place, some more visible than others. You probably will not have to leave from here and go very far to find somebody with a prosthetic appendage because they lost it in battle. Or see some real physical scars that they encountered in battle. Others may not be quite so visible, but if you watch them long enough, you'll notice it. There are physical things that happen. You see, if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a very serious spiritual battle to fight, and it may cause great physical harm or death to the believer. We could go back to the New Testament for Stephen. He became one of the first New Testament martyrs stoned to death for his faith. I believe he counted the cost and was willing to pay the price. There was Paul... In one particular chapter that he wrote, he, he journals all of the physical abuse that he experienced. Stoned and left for dead. I forget how many times he was beaten. Now, when we talk about beaten, a lot of times that is with a whip and it's uh, 40 lashes minus one. 39 times with a whip. Snake bit. All uh, thrown into jail, already beaten and bruised and, and bound down around those bruises. We get a little discomfort in our shoe with one of our toes. We take our shoe off and rearrange the soccer. We do something. But he had been beaten and then shackled. There was no moving those for comfort. 
Later, he became a martyr for his faith. Out of the 11 remaining disciples that became apostles, 10 of them died a martyr's death. John, the son of Zebedee, they tried to kill him in boiling oil. But the Lord wasn't done with him. He survived. So he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. Bore the scars of that until the end. There are those of a more recent time. I, read, I met Virginia Prodon, read her book, Saving My Assassin. She was born and grew up in Romania under a tyrannical leader. She got saved, walked with God, and she felt like the way that she could really make a difference is to become an, a lawyer. And in her legal career in Romania under that tyrant, she defended Christians successfully. And she was so successful in her defense that the leader, I'd say his name, but I never say it right, so I'll just say the leader. So so the leader, as was his case for anyone that opposed his tyranny, he sent out an assassin to kill her. And as you read in the book, he came in where she was seated at her desk, sat across from her, had the firearm with him to kill her with. She knew that he was there to assassinate her. But instead of freezing up, she witnessed to him. And by the time it was done, he put his firearm away and walked out and did not do his task. She was later evacuated under uh, Ronald Reagan and, and with his workings brought to America for safety. But do you know, she counted the cost of physical harm that, it could, that could come for what she was doing. But she was willing to continue. Harlan Popov of Bulgaria, another communist tyrant, he was put in prison, and, and I would encourage you to read both of these books, Saving My Assassin, and for this, Tortured for His Faith. For 13 years, he was brutally tortured. They accused him of being a spy because they knew they didn't dare accuse him of being a preacher, but that was his only crime, was being a preacher. I don't know how anybody could last six hours in some of that abuse let alone 13 years. But there was a time and point that, that he, was, he counted the cost and was willing to suffer the physical harm as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have been martyred and, and abused down through the years, the numbers keep growing. Discipleship, are you willing to make physical sacrifices even to the point of death or physical harm, including disease? We have heard of missionaries who have gone to the foreign field, malaria and other diseases that they have encountered. Their life was cut short, but their ministry blossomed. They counted the cost and were willing to suffer. And they stayed faithful. Principle number four. 
The first one is social sacrifice. The second is material sacrifice. The third is physical sacrifice. The fourth principle that I get comes from verse 34 and 35. Are you willing to persevere and finish your course as a disciple? We read, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, yet, but men cast it out. And he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I would say that's perseverance. The salt always starts out salty, but over time could lose its value, could lose its seasoning. Now, the salt it's talking about there in Roman times, it was a rock salt that had a mixture there. And incidentally, this, it was so valuable that it was part of the Roman soldiers' payroll. They would get salt as part of their paycheck on a regular basis. But this salt, because it was not purified like our salt, which doesn't lose its saltiness, their salt was in that raw form and with time could lose its saltiness. And talking about using it as a part of their wage, that's probably where the expression, not worth your salt, you weren't worth your part of your paycheck in what you're doing. But you know, gold is always gold. It can be mixed with a lot of things, but it's still always gold. But salt is valuable only while it is salty. A disciple is only a disciple as long as willing to make the necessary sacrifices. One can start the course of discipleship but fall short. 2 Timothy 4.10, we read of one, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed. He abandoned the principles of discipleship, having loved this present world. By comparison, Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4.7 On the cross, Jesus Christ declared, it is finished. He finished the work God gave him. He never fell short. True discipleship will not only start the course, but finish it. Here the Lord taught a very serious lesson on true discipleship. Again, this is not talking about salvation. Please, please get that. For there may be many saved, but few will be true disciples. Just as salvation is a personal choice, so too is discipleship. It is not something that is voted by the church to force upon a pastor. It is not just for pastors. It is something for every individual who, would, as a believer, would consider. Here are those four principles as we close to be understood about discipleship. You will have to be willing to make social sacrifices. You will have to be willing to make material sacrifices. You will have to be willing to make physical sacrifices. And you will have to be willing or need to be willing to persevere to the end and finish the course. This is not something that we muster up the strength and the discipline to achieve, but it is a work that the Holy Spirit works through us that gives us sufficient grace for every challenge, every battle, every trial, every loss that comes into our life. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us what we need to be a true disciple, and He works through a surrendered servant. As I close, I cannot say... I have arrived as a disciple. 
I do not give errors to that at all. But I do know it's in my heart that I want to strive for the mark. And I challenge you today to strive for the mark as a believer in Christ. Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, take this passage, take this message, and take this lesson and do a work in God's people. And Father, if there is somebody here that's not saved, don't let this scare them away from being a believer, coming to you in repentance and faith. But let it be a testimony of the sincerity of what we believe and understand about our Lord. Use it in many ways. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Once more, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again... Be sure you are living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm, safe from all harm, safe in His sheltering arm. I'm living by faith.
was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The of radio stations can boast about having two, three, even 500,000 listeners. But what they don't tell you is that their average listener only listens for four minutes. And if they're listening to music, they're constantly changing the channel. Same old boring commentary. Or as soon as a commercial starts playing, they change the station. Here at 1360 KHNC, our listeners listen longer, a lot longer. We have some of the longest continuous listener minutes in the industry. That means our listeners don't change the dial as soon as a commercial starts starts playing because they don't want to miss one second of their favorite programs. Advertise with AM 1360 KHNC and have your message heard. Call us at 970-587-5003. We have the best rates in Colorado. So call us at 970-587-5003 or 1360KHNC.com. (laughs) 
what type of financial advisor are you looking for? A lot of advisors work for some great companies that offer good products, but are they taking a close look at what truly matters to you? Most advisors are unfortunately one-trick ponies and come at you with the same strategy no matter what situation you are in. Most of the time, your advisor isn't even reaching out to you to review things and has no desire to actually build a relationship with you. You want to work with someone who's going to hustle their butt off and compete for you and make sure that you are maximizing your hard-earned dollars. I will work day and night for all of my clients and do everything in my power to deliver the best service possible. Reach out to me, Joey Jaquin, Joe Jaquin's son, someone who is going to compete for your business and truly aligns with your conservative values. You can reach me at my personal cell, 602-909-9048. Again, 602-909-9048. I've learned to stand with people that are in the storm who have courage. And if there's a man out there other than President Trump and just a few others that have really proven their mettle in the furnace, it's Mike Lindell. You're not going to get better towels, better sheets, better slippers, better beds, better hundreds of products made in America anywhere. It's ridiculous how high quality it is, how ridiculous the prices are low. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code KHNC. As the economy collapses, are you prepared to provide even basic essentials for your family? I teach Urban Survival Training course that arms you with hundreds of skills and hacks to keep you and yours going when everyone else gives up. Food and water are only the beginning. Call the Rev at 303-809-3343. That's 303-809-3343. This is Rick Rodriguez. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Join me on Sundays from 9 to noon for the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry Radio Church Program on 1360 AM, KHNC. Hi, this is Tammy Cuthbert Garcia with Naturally Inspired Radio. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. for the latest in natural health news. Get real solutions for healthy living and hear from our inspiring guests that are leading the way in health and freedom. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Excursion Broadcast.